Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we are, again, in a little bit of a transition phase here. The, the college football season is over. We are right on the precipice of the All-Star Game circuit, the Shrine Bowl. That preview will start next week, the Senior Bowl the following week. So we've got plenty here on the horizon from an NFL draft standpoint, but I wanted to sit down with Ben Fennell, this week's guest here, once again, for Saturday Scouting, just kind of talk through some of the latest news. Obviously, we had the underclassmen deadline that passed here this week. We've had some mock drafts we're going to break down and also just talk about this area of the draft process that we're at right now. What has Ben up to? What else is going on around the NFL draft process? We'll talk through that there with Ben in Saturday Scouting. As always, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Mock draft, player rankings, whatever questions you have about this draft process or some of the top prospects, leave it there. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get into it now. Excited to welcome in Ben Fennell for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, Ben, let's get rolling here. And before we get into some of our normal uh, news items that we like to hit on, I want to first ask you, because you, uh, get, get, you're getting ready for your next role here in this stage of the calendar, uh, where you're going to be working over at NFL Films with NFL Network. Uh, explain it is what you do uh, so for our listeners that may be our first time and uh, don't know exactly what you do over the course of the offseason. Yeah, so I hop over to NFL Films and I transition my producing, editing, researching skills uh, to NFL Network gigs. And that's the Senior Bowl, the Combine Draft, essentially serving as Daniel Jeremiah's uh, producer for all those events. So anybody he wants to talk about or break down uh, any of these prospects coming from Saturdays to Sundays, I look for the video and try to match his traits and his points and uh, give us some content while we're on the air. And it's uh, obviously we know Senior Bowl practices, those long days at the Combine, that long draft experience, need a lot of video content to kind of fill the airwaves there. So uh, we love the conversation. We love the research. It's definitely a interesting time of the year as we're moving on from the NFL circuit right into college draft season. Um, but it keeps things fresh in my calendar, and I, I love this time of year. So basically, anytime uh, you're watching NFL Network draft coverage and you see uh, B-roll of a college prospect show up that has any kind of circle or telestration <laughs> on it, know that Ben had something yeah, to do with it. Essentially, that's how I have to explain it to my family. So anytime you see what we call doodles, okay. or you see the you know the video accentuating or highlighting something with spot shadows, arrows, circles, beams, as uh, we like to talk about in the industry, uh, and obviously working with you know Charles Davis, Bucky Brooks, you know other guys on our draft kind of uh, slew of analysts. It's yep. really fun to work with everybody. All right. Well, you mentioned the first step in that process is going to be the Senior Bowl. Yep. And so we've got a few names here added to the Senior Bowl roster, all on defense here. Uh, as the, the coaching staffs are being announced, we're starting to get a sense of these final rosters. Uh, let's take a look first at Kansas pass rusher Lonnie Phelps, a guy that I know you had studied in the past. I actually just watched him for the first time this morning. Uh, you give your th- thoughts on, uh, on Lonnie Phelps. Yeah, he hopped over from Miami, Ohio, where I thought he had a really strong 2021. Now at Kansas, where he kind of picked up the pass rush productivity has some real suddenness, some inside moves, some spin moves, some stutter swims, but he really cleaned up his run defense. So he's a productive player at about 6'3", 240. He's a little stiff, you know, a little yep. inconsistent from time to time, but he's a well-rounded player, and I'm excited to see if maybe he could play some off-ball outside linebacker, play out in space, and let's see uh, if he has any special teams contributions. But two different schools the last two years, very productive. Yeah, he's, he's not the level of athlete that, like, Kyron Johnson was last year coming out of that program. He went to the senior ball. He's 
not that level of uh, explosive athlete, but um, you know he's able to win high side because, first of all, he's got natural leverage on his side. He's 6'2", 240. He's got a solid first step, um, but I think you're just going to need to see continued improvement there from a rush plan standpoint, but uh, in terms of like a run and chase, like boundary pass rusher, offer some rush, Sam, flexibility, uh, that's what he's kind of shooting for. That's the needle he's going to have to thread there, uh, making that transition to the NFL. Let's talk now about uh, defensive lineman here, a guy that we've talked about a lot on the podcast over the last like three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's been in the league now or in college for seven, eight years now. That's Nesta Jade Silvera from Arizona State, uh, was previously at Miami. Um, like everybody has a transfer story now. Yes, you know, so that's, like... that's going to happen here. Uh, so Jade Silvera, he was initially announced for the Shrine Bowl a few weeks back. Well, he is now headed to Mobile. Uh, let's talk about Nesta Jade Silvera. Yeah, I remember watching him at Miami, and we both watched him as a youngster and being pretty excited seeing that number one defensive tackle shoot in the backfield. Had a really good first step, very much a wound up, like we we like we like to call them wound up interior defensive tackles that just seem like they're you know kind of cranked like a toy, and then all of a sudden they can shoot across yeah, right. the line of scrimmage yep. with that first step, really penetrate, play on the other side of the line, uh, get in the backfields, and be a disruptor. Not always making plays, but an absolute disruptor with that first step. So I think he fits a single gap scheme at the next level, and we all know big guys that can get up the field and maybe rush the passer and some sub downs that has a lot of value a super senior five years playing college football i remember the first tapes we watched were off his 2019 season yep. so this is a guy we've been watching now for a few years um i think he's got some no shade and three technique flexibility uh i agree in terms of his ability to kind of get off the ball he can change the line of scrimmage both run and pass game um yeah we wrote down well i shouldn't say we i wrote down uh tim jernigan right. uh, i was, was wondering was if you're gonna out. bring yeah. that up and yeah. that was like three years ago it was a long point. time ago yeah. and obviously jernigan was a i think a third round pick out of florida state right yeah. but um jade silvera I, I don't know if that's how high he will end up in this draft but uh, an intriguing player headed to mobile uh, on the interior defensive line which i think is one of the better groups uh, overall in this draft class let's now get to the second level here linebacker d winters from tcu a player that uh, really made a lot of big plays in the college football playoff yeah it seemed like his stock really rose as tcu uh, went into the playoff and upset michigan and had some big plays in that playoff game on a national stage unfortunately the you know the cart turned back into a pumpkin there against yep. Georgia but he's a three-year starter a little undersized but it really showed up in coverage unfortunately it also showed up with his tackling fell yep. off way too many ball carriers way inconsistent tackling but a very good special teamer because of that height weight speed athleticism combination out there and this is really the mold that you're looking for with the sub package linebacker at the next level so I don't love his height weight speed as a base linebacker and as a run stuffer in the box but he may be a hybrid fit to maybe kick out and play out in the slot and yep. do, do some uh, some roles in space. He was an athlete recruit. <clears throat> People weren't sure exactly what position he was going to play coming out of high school. Was he played receiver and safety at that level. It reminds me a little bit of like Brian Asamoah that mm. came out last okay. year, Oklahoma, yeah. now with the Minnesota Vikings. Won't be the type of size linebacker for everybody. But I think some schemes and some fits are really going to like him. We got another transfer here, uh, Makai Blackman, <laughs> the the corner from USC. Was it Colorado, right? Yep. With uh, with Christian Gonzalez, yeah. uh, and they both transferred out for twenty twenty two. Yeah, I think it was a two or three year starter at Colorado. Switches over to USC. Started the season really strong. Had two picks in the first three or four weeks, I think. One against Oregon State, one against Stanford. Ended with three on the season. The thing with uh, Makai uh, Blackman, he's really small, Fran. He's yeah. like six foot. He's probably going to come in at five eleven maybe 170 pounds 
This kid actually throws his body around quite a bit playing mm. the run. Really, really tough player with ball skills. Reminds me of like one of those kind of tough guy slots, like a uh, like a Buster Screen okay. kind of or a Captain Munnerlin. That you know he's undersized, but he packs a punch out there. So I'm really excited to see kind of what the NFL views him. He's not the size for me. But if you just watch him hit the ball carriers out there, you would think he's a six foot, 195 pound corner. Fortunately, it's probably like 5'11, 170. So mm-hmm. it won't be for everybody, but he's a tough player. Ironically enough, like Christian Gonzalez coming out of Colorado uh, last year when they went into the tra- transfer portal, neither guy had great production on the football. Right. Gonzalez had no interceptions during his time with the Buffaloes. He had four this year uh, with uh, with Oregon. Blackman, he made uh, third team All American because yep. of how productive he was this year in that USC secondary. So uh, a good a good final season for both of those guys. And we'll see what Blackman's able to do down in Mobile. One final one, and this one's a little bit different because this guy comes from the junior class uh, who made himself eligible by getting his degree uh, this winter here, Ben, and that's Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State. I love this kid. I think he's going to be one of the risers here over the next few months and work himself into the maybe top 50 discussion. I think he's a second-round pick all day long. So Dane Brugler's mock draft, great two-round mock, only had two nickel safeties in that group. And that was Antonio, Antonio Johnson. Johnson and Brian Branch. Yep. Right. And I think guys like Ronnie Hickman and Jamie Robinson are right knocking on the door, wanting to crash that party and nice. be second round picks. Ronnie Hickman, I think he was an all American lacrosse player in high school, really tough player, plays that nickel spot, that strong safety spot, really good tackler, really good balance. He's a come to balance tackler where he really does everything with controlled movements, doesn't play out of control, can cover really well, stick his nose on the run, good blitzer. He's athletic. He's strong, played at Ohio State for two seasons, checking a lot of boxes. I just think, like I've been talking about all season long, I think everybody on that Ohio State defense took a back seat as far as buzz. There's a lot of good players. Nobody just grabbed the bull by the horns to be the, yes, that's the leader of the Ohio State defense. Yeah. You know, was it, you know, uh, 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 Eichenberg, or was it Zach Harrison, or you know who was the leader of that defense? Who was the playmaker? Yep. Everybody kind of took turns. Ronnie Hickman's a really good player and a top fifty player all day long. I struggled with him in the summer because I watched him. I'm like, okay, like you're checking a lot of boxes. I watched him with you. I remember. Yeah, yeah. but I just like struggled. We watched like three games together, and I was like, I don't, I still don't know. Like I need His to watch. His tape was three a little more. boring. The games we watched, yeah. he was a little bit away from the ball, not a lot of impact plays, and it wasn't his fault. It just so happened That's how it goes. he wasn't in the action a lot, and we both looked at each other like. What did we just watch? And we both were kind of like uh, wanting more from him. I think as you dig more into his tape, watch some of his 2022, watch his touches on the ball, things like that, mm. really going to start to perk up and what he can do. All right. Well, speaking of uh, us watching film together, who's a guy that you've watched over the last week that uh, you've studied and you're like, all right, you know what? This is a guy I definitely want to talk about here on the pod. Two guys real fast. Tyreek Stevenson, Miami corner, transfer from Georgia. Remember, he started for Kirby Smart in that nickel star position as a true freshman. Two seasons at Georgia, transferred to Miami. Miami. Now he's this huge corner out at Miami where he looks a lot like, you know, Malcolm Jenkins at Ohio State, where he's six foot, 210, good speed, good physicality, just a little clunky with his hips and transitions, turning and running. I like him in a cover two uh, type of scheme where he could come up and be a tough guy in the flat as a force defender, keep his eyes in the backfield, and really bait passing lanes. He has good speed, just a little clunky with transitions and turning and running and press man. Um, so it reminds me a little bit of like a Cam Taylor Britt. Okay. Came out last year in Nebraska, another tough corner corner, good in run support, fit the Bengals kind of scheme perfectly. And then Luke Musgrave I had to dive into. Only played two games this year. 
Don't forget. And then he had the knee injury for Oregon State. We're seeing him in a lot of first-round mock drafts. No question. Seeing him in quite a few first-round mocks, as uh, we just saw our good buddy Dane Brugler put him in the first round. And that's kind of the way things are trending. And that's the way this draft is trending. If you have a second-round grade on somebody, he's going to be considered through the 20s of that first round. And that's kind of where Musgrave stands. He's going to be a great tester, going to test like a Mike Gusecki, maybe be a high 4-4, low 4-5, jump 36, 37 inches. Just his tape was a little underwhelming, in my opinion. You know, he's really just a one-and-a-half-year player, a little high cut, a little tall, a little lean, doesn't play with good leverage in the run game, but he's really athletic, good hands, good red zone weapon, can stretch the seam. But he never stretched the seam against man coverage. He was always against, you know, zone coverage and some leak passes and some sale concepts, and you just wanted more from him. So while I like the upside and the potential, I just see a little disconnect with his tape and where he's currently valued. So I wanted to dive into Musgrave, a little bit of a James Hanna, if you remember him, or maybe even the way Ladarius Green came out. Well, so like, you know, the guy, as you were talking, that he kind of reminds me of from last year. Like, stylistically, very similar in ways to, like, Greg Dulcich. Yes, But yeah. I thought Greg Dulcich was, I mean, he was, A, much more productive, and B, like, he did a little bit more for me on film. And Dulcich went mid-second round. I thought that was probably right. I mean, Daniel Bellinger went in the fourth. I think Bellinger was an exponentially better run blocker. Right. I really like Trey McBride. I mean, it took forever for Trey McBride to go off the board yeah. out there. You know, I like Kate Otten's tape a little bit more. I like Jeremy Ruckert's tape yeah. more. I didn't consider any of those guys in the top 50, to be perfectly honest with you. Yep. I think Kate Otten went in round three, Ruckert in four, or something, or vice versa. But Musgrave going in the first round, I just didn't see that. And I know the underliner there, as uh, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted at me yesterday, said he's going to run in the four fours. You don't get to use four four speed as a tight end very often. And yeah. I know listeners may be saying, what? What are you talking about? I'm telling you, go watch every touch to Travis Kelsey the last three or four years or last season. Everyone thinks he's athletic and speed. He doesn't run past people. He wins with suddenness, quick in and out of breaks, and catching the football. Good balance, good adjustments. Now, Musgrave may be a freak athlete. That's why I think it's going to be a Mike Kosicki type of trend, where he's going to jump out the building in Indianapolis, look yep. great, be a little bit disappointed when he gets on the field on Sundays. I think he's going to be kind of a flex slot type of player. Uh, and if you think he's an inline wide tight end on a daily basis, I think you're going to be a little disappointed. Can I circle back on Tyreek Stevenson? Please. Um, so uh, we talk about wide receivers all the time and, like, um, what are the things that are uh, good areas to, to uh, evaluate a wide receiver? It's like, all right, well, yeah, like deep speed, great. The back shoulder throws, that's all good. I want to see you guys that can separate at the intermediate level. You know, yep. Run a dig, run a comeback, a deep curl, like the guys that show the ability to create that separation. Uh, if you can't win on a slant route, you can't play in the NFL, things like that. Inversely, I want to see how corners react on those kinds of routes. Like turning and running on a fade ball, great, that's nice. But how do you react on a comeback route? How right. are you able to match a wide receiver's movement? I thought watching Tyreek Stevenson in the summer, that was one of the things I really liked about him. He gets a little bit grabby, but I think he's got like that reaction quickness that even for a bigger corner, I'm like, okay, like you can work with this. And he had like some starting traits. Honestly, and maybe it's like the Miami, uh, the Miami thing. Kind of reminds me of like what Michael Jackson, uh, when Michael Jackson was coming out of Miami, same thing. He was a seventh round pick. That's a great I think Stevenson gets higher. I, I think he goes higher than that, but um, he was one of my favorite senior corners that I studied in the summer, more so than even some of these other guys that are being talked about in the first round. Uh, I really like Stevenson. I just don't, I don't know where, because I think the, the, the recovery speed is not going to be great. I don't think he's going to be like a star at the combine, but I think he's got a feel for he playing coverage. He hopped down some guys this year where I saw the long speed and maybe a clunky transition, and then he finally was able to then execute the linear speed. He's fast yep. and he has good feet and he's tough and he's big. 
I'm telling you, his hips stink. Yeah. And they're just a little tight. He's a little high cut. And I'm telling you, if he keep a guy in front and put his foot in the ground and drive on a ball, right. he's going to go through the receiver. Like, he is a tough guy to the catch point, tough guy through the catch point, tough guy with a my ball attitude that really makes you work to catch that ball and hold on to it through that whole process. It's just the hips. So, you know, I think a cover two scheme, even if you could transition him into like a side saddle, which is a great, you know, complementative technique for guys that can't flip them. So I think a little more coaching and a, the right fit. Tyreek Stevenson could be a heck of a pro. And that's the thing is Michael Jackson was a seventh rounder in Dallas, you know, flaked out quickly there, and then ends up in Seattle and becomes a really good starter for them this year. Not to mention, I obviously reflecting back to his Georgia time, go put on that 2019 or 2020 season, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was, tw- it was 20, 2019. It was, it was 2019. You, you yeah. first brought him up the summer of 2020 here on the pod. Yeah, 2019, uh, I actually went back and just watched some of his touch tape from 2019. Oh, he played LSU, obviously, Joe Burrow and company. Mm. Well, every third down against LSU, he's up against Justin Jefferson awesome. in the slot. So that was a much different role than Miami, but it was just cool to reflect back on a true freshman being asked to shut down Jeff- Justin Jefferson one-on-one. Uh, for me, the guy that I've studied here in the last few days, uh, Clayton Toon, the quarterback from Houston. Ooh, good a little bit, a little bit undersized. Uh, he's under 220, so that, you know, the, the, from a, uh, a girth standpoint, body armor standpoint, there's going to be questions about his ability uh, to hold up and kind of shake things off in the pocket. Because I think he, at the end of the day, he is more of a pocket passer. He took over for Derek King when Derek King opted out in the middle of the 2019 season. We remember that was a, uh, you know, that kind of made headlines. Him and uh, there was a bunch of players for Houston that year. It was like Game Four, and they all opted out, and a bunch of them transferred. It was a really interesting interesting situation so Toon takes over at that point um and the last two years were, was really really good really productive there are some really if you take like his you know 10 15 20 most impressive throws you're like man this guy is a, a pocket assassin work in the middle work in the middle of the field some of the anticipation throws look at the second third window um you see the accuracy you can throw off platform but man there, there I think there are some areas where there where it's just a little bit frustrating where that anticipation I talked about throwing a, making a throw in the middle of the field where it might be like a uh, a pistol play action or the throw the the, uh, the first progression in the read is a deep comeback throw it it's there and yeah. he doesn't throw it right and so uh, there are a bunch of those where you're like oh like I just wish there was a little bit more but man he's got great touch to all three areas of the field he's got some creative like slippery plays in the pocket where he makes the first man miss and delivers a playoff platform his lower body is going to need some work he likes to lock up that off leg and I think that impacts his velocity and his ball placement at times um, but overall like this guy looks like a kind of player who can come in as a, like an early day three you know, mid day three player and be a, a serviceable backup for a long time and Look, who knows? Like maybe it turns into, uh, you know, everybody's going to be, this is going to be one of the chic like comparisons also. Who's the next Brock Purdy? Who's the next Brock Purdy? Who's the next Brock Purdy? Clayton Toon could be the next Brock Purdy. The next, who is like the next Gardner Minshew, right? Um, I think Toon could be one of those guys. Yeah, he reminded me of uh, Andy Dalton type. Yeah, like that's what we're talking about. Yeah, a little uninspiring athleticism, a little uninspiring arm, but good enough to get the job done. Really productive player, almost 12,000 yards passing in his career there. And a guy that's gotten better and better each year has improved the completion percentage you know improve the accuracy has shown off the legs and mobility a little bit more this year with the scrambling seemed like he was a little bit more willing to take off and run which you know you see some free real estate he moved the chains a lot with his legs um, but like you had said you just want him to be a little bit more defined with his reads a little more decisive playing a little bit faster and then don't forget you know, we studied Marquez Stevenson a few years ago mm. well Clayton Toon was throwing all those passes yep. you know we obviously were very uh you know, praising of a Nathaniel Dell, you know, over the mm. summer and this yep. year. Well, 
Clayton Toon's the one, you know, throwing a lot of those passes. So, you know, as you study these receivers, don't forget the quarterback on the other end. Someone's getting it there. He throws with outstanding touch on, like, corners and deep crossers. Yep. Like, uh, just making, like, bucket spot throws. Just outstanding. And that's one of my favorite throws uh, in his arsenal. Uh, let's wrap, wrap it up here with our mock draft roundup. This week, uh, we already broke down Danes earlier this week. So I wasn't going give to give you that one since we did the thorough one with the man himself uh, earlier this week on the show. So we went over to a new one here over with the 33rd team. Um, they've got a, a, a crew of people that put together this mock draft, actually led by former Eagle scout TJ McCrate uh, and a group of other uh, evaluators there. But um, a bunch of trades at the top, uh, three trades in total in the top 10. Uh, real quickly, I just want to kind of highlight this. The Texans trade up from number two to number one. So the Bears trade down out of the number one spot. Then the Bears trade down again. They go from two to four. The Colts trade up to get our quarterback at number two. And then the Panthers, they trade up into the top five from nine to five. So real quickly, here's how the top five went. Houston takes quarterback Bryce Young. The Colts trade up and take Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky. Then you have Jalen Carter and Will Anderson go off the board to Arizona and Chicago. And then the Panthers trade up for their quarterback, C.J. Stroud. So again... It's the two elite D linemen. It's two quarterbacks. And then who is the fifth guy? Here it ended up being the, fifth, the, the third quarterback there. So you got Young, Levis, and Stroud. Well, as we solidify the names in the draft, I always joke around and call it Boggle. Yeah. And you could just shake up the names. This exercise, it's shake up the teams. Right. So it's kind of a, a fun way to look at it. I wonder if these trades are going to happen in like March which we've seen them in the past. Remember when the, when the Jets traded up the year they took Darnold, they moved up uh, significantly. Certainly the Eagles and the Rams that year in 2017, they made those trades the up. The draft day blockbuster, I think, has slowly been dying. Yeah, I think that things kind of get decided pretty early. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 49ers, when they moved up to three, that happened really early, right? So when, when they took uh, Trey Lance. And so... Um, yeah, we'll see. When, when I these wonder moves how that goes down. You know, a trade like the Bears moving up on draft day to get Trubisky a few years back. Are those things where the framework's been in place for weeks? Was that an impulsive, hey, you had the right breakfast and all of a sudden you had an idea, you called someone up, made it work? You know, there's a lot of different ways those can go down. I just feel like the draft day blockbuster to make a move it's just so high variance and so risky. I think you need to get your ducks in order ahead of time. Well, we remember too, the, the 49ers trade moving up from, what were they, like 13 to 3 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, that happened on the day of, the night of uh, Zach Wilson's pro day. And the Jets, everybody, right. they had a big contingent at the pro day. And so it was, it was just like, all right, the Jets are taking definitely taking Zach Wilson. We know Trevor Lawrence is going number one. All right, so then we've got our next pick. Okay, we're going to take Trey Lance. So let's make the move up now. And right. Get, right? Like, um, just really interesting to see when, when the, the Eagles went up to get stuff. Wentz at two. You knew guy. Was gonna was yep. gonna make the move. Uh, was gonna be the number one guy, right? So um, yeah, it is interesting to kind of get a sense of when the, the timing of all of those moves. Um, let's get to the first Eagles pick here. Actually, the Eagles traded down in this mock draft. Uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the obviously they, they have the pick from the Saints, but um, this was after a trade down. Uh, the Jets moved up from thirteen to ten. They take Paris Johnson. So the Eagles uh, they trade back in this scenario and they take Kaylee Ringo, the corner from Georgia. And here's the blurb from the thirty third team. Ringo has some holes in his game but he has the length and speed to succeed. He plays assignment sound football, gives the Eagles depth at a premier position. Uh, ben, we talked about Ringo plenty. Um, I'll be interested to see like where he ultimately ends up as the more the process kind of goes on. Is he going to be a guy that we consistently talk about in the top 15, or is he going to be more like back end of round one? But Ringo certainly has been a popular name to link with the Eagles in first round of mock drafts. Yeah, I can absolutely see the fit, see, see the scheme fit, see the positional need, and I expect Ringo to be a middle to back end of round one. So I think this is kind of where where the Ringo possible destinations start. And I think the Eagles will be considering all those big corners, whether it's Christian Gonzalez on the board or Joey Porter Jr. or maybe even a live wire like a Devin Witherspoon like we've seen shooting up boards. 
All right, well, the Eagles, again, in this scenario, they trade down from 10 to 13. So who are the three guys that went off the board in the, in those three slots? Well, I mentioned Paris Johnson. He goes off the board, the left tackle from Ohio State. He goes to the Jets. The Tennessee Titans take wide receiver Quinton Johnson from TCU. The Houston Texans at number 12, they take another wide receiver, Jordan Addison from USC. After the Eagles pick, you've got Army pass rusher Andre Carter going to the New England Patriots, the Green Bay Packers selecting Michael Mayer, and then the Seattle Seahawks, they trade up, and they take a quarterback, Anthony Richardson, from Florida. That was a trade-up with the Washington Commanders. So, uh, Ben, I want to ask you this question. Off those six players, any of those teams can sign up right now as we sit here on January 19th. They could sign up and say, yep, I want that guy. Who is that pick? Who is that team and why? I feel like it's got to be Anthony Richardson going to the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, that's going to be in combination with keeping a Geno Smith. So I think being able to put Anthony Richardson on ice, work on his development for a year, slowly bring him up to NFL speed while having the security of a Geno Smith, that's a great deal. That's the thing. Is that if, you can, if you're a team that has a quarterback right now and you can give a player like Anthony Richardson the time to improve and get better and uh, just develop from a mental side, of the, game. The, the guy has not played a ton of football. So, honestly, it's kind of similar to the Trey Lance situation where Lance had only played one real year at the FCS level uh, before you know ultimately losing that final season due to COVID and then uh, moving on to the NFL. Just not has, has not played a lot of ball. So having another option there already in tow at the quarterback position uh, would be a good situation there for an Anthony Richardson. For me, um, I think you look at Paris Johnson to the Jets. That makes a lot of sense, not only because, oh, yeah, you know, they need tackle help. They need tackle help. They might have their tackles, right? They might have that situated, but uh, Paris Johnson is a guy that has played both left tackle and right guard starting for Ohio State. So he's got tackle versatility, guard versatility, left and right versatility. So, yeah, maybe you take Paris Johnson, he ends up being the left tackle. Great. Maybe he ends up being the right tackle. Also great. Maybe he ends up being a guard. You already have Vera Tucker in there as well. That's got that versatility. And he he showed this year, Vera Tucker, before he got hurt, that it's important to have that. And Johnson is one of those guys. Hey, the Jets thought they went into this season with their offensive line secure. It was a very expensive room. They thought they had tackles and depth and youth. And nope, the whole thing went up in yes. flames. So just when you think you're set at a position, you're not. So I don't care if they have some tackles on the roster or some guards or it looks good on paper. Keep adding coals to the furnace on the offensive line. Yeah, you got, they got plagued by injuries uh, along that group this year. Let's now go to the Eagles' second pick. It happens all the way at number 32. Uh, pass rusher B.J. Ojolari from LSU. Here's the blurb here from the 33rd team. GM Howie Roseman loves to stock up on edge rushers, and he keeps the pantry full by adding Ojolari. So, Ben, uh, thoughts on Ojolari? Is he a first-round pick in your eyes? Uh, I think he's going to be right on the fringe of the first round. I think anywhere from 25 to 45 is a good ballpark. He's a yep. guy I've been, I've been comparing to Robert Quinn, so I think he kind of fits yeah, here. A uh, high side speed rusher. I think he's going to be a you know prime you know primarily a pass rushing kind of piece uh, at the next level. But I think his run defense has improved. It's coming and going a little inconsistent. I think some NFL coaching though and the right scheme fit will put him in the best position. But if you get quarterbacks and be a high side speed rusher. We've seen that be obviously very valuable in the NFL. So uh, Robert Quinn, who coincidentally is here in Philadelphia now, be a, a quick little one-for-one. One. That makes sense. Uh, well, here are the five players that went off the board uh, just before the Eagles added Ojolari in this mock draft. At number 27, the Dallas Cowboys select running back Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. At 28, the Cincinnati Bengals take South Carolina corner Cam Smith. At 29, the Denver Broncos select tight end Dalton Kincaid from Utah. At 30, the Buffalo Bills select Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M. And then the Kansas City Chiefs, number 31, they take another Ohio State tackle, Dewan Jones, uh, there from the Buckeyes. So, Ben, of those five players, 
Which of the picks was most eyebrow-raising? Which one caught you off guard? Because for me, um, right off the bat, it was Jameer Gibbs going to the Cowboys. We have not talked about this as a scenario, but absolutely it was, in the, it was within the realm of possibility because uh, Tony Pollard is a free agent. We'll see what kind of money he gets. My guess is it'll be pretty, pretty decent money. Uh, and Zeke Elliott, you know, probably more of a compliment at this point. So if you lose Pollard, you want somebody else there to kind of step in, and Gibbs offers that explosive dimension. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where Dallas goes with their contracts, and any mention of Tony Pollard hitting free agency seems to get met with a Cowboys fan saying, nope, 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 franchise tag is coming. So that franchise tag for running backs, we don't see pulled very often. Interested to see if they keep him, even if they do keep a Tony Pollard. Maybe just adding that firepower on the offense and adding more weapons around Dak for Kellen Moore to play with. I wouldn't look past it. So mm. I think even keeping a Tony Pollard, Jameer Gibbs might end up with a team with already some offensive firepower, and that's okay. Who were the uh, of the picks there? Which one caught your eye the most? Uh, probably Antonio Johnson. It seems like we're getting a lot of athletic linebackers, Trenton Simpson, you know, some nickels in there, getting more athletic pieces in the middle of the field for the Bills. I know they've had some injuries at safety to Poyer and Micah Hyde. Teron Johnson's been a really nice piece, but Antonio Johnson, his length, his versatility, his yep. playmaking ability, I get to see Sean McDermott salivating at a piece like that. All right, who is a player? that went higher than you would have expected when you open up this mock draft to go through a pick-by-pick. Pick. Who's the guy that you're like, ooh, this guy went higher than I would have thought? Probably be Andre Carter, Army pass rusher, going 14th overall in New England Patriots. He's a guy that stock has dripped a little bit this year. I think we had high expectations for him after a season last year. Saw him in some first-round mocks over the summer. Kind of tempered on that a little bit through the season, through the winter months there, the fall months. Now he's starting to get some buzz again with where do you place him? I just think it's a really deep edge rushing group. Nothing against an Andre Carter, but in the stacking order of the other edges when you're considering, you know, B.J. Ojolari's and Isaiah Foskey's and Zach Harrison is still on the board. I think to see Andre Carter here, 14th overall, a little rich for my liking. This one isn't even a, a knock on the player because I actually really like the player, and I personally would see him as this level of prospect. But uh, Devin Witherspoon at number 20, the corner from Illinois, going to the Washington Commanders, that one caught my eye because we haven't really seen Witherspoon go this high in a lot of mock drafts. And so uh, seeing him that high, I was like, okay. I, I was like, yeah, I, I kind of like this. Um, you know, I don't know. I said, uh, Washington keeps getting pegged corners. I'll be interested to see if they actually get a corner. A lot of mock drafts, a lot of the big ones. Um, you know, the St. Juice has given them some good reps as a second-year player. You've got Fuller on the other side. Yeah. Uh, do, do we really feel like we want to spend another first-round prospect there uh, at corner? That'll be interesting. Also, snapshotting the Washington Commanders in their 2021, 2022. I don't know if corners showing up on my top five issues right. moving forward. Yep. So I think uh, figuring out what the best value and where your biggest needs are, are going to be really important. But this is one I think we hit in the summer, Fran. We were all over Devin Witherspoon coming into the season, and he's done nothing but capitalize and uh, let his stock soar throughout a senior campaign, head into the Senior Bowl, made impact plays on the ball, some huge hits. Seemed like he was on highlights every Sunday after his games on Saturday. He's from Florida. He's fast. He's an alpha. He's a trash talker. Put me down for a Jair Alexander type of guy. Mm. He's a little undersized compared to the, obviously, Skinny, the, yeah, the right. Ringos and the Porters and Christian Gonzalez. Those guys are all 6'1", 6'2", 200 pounds. Devin Witherspoon, a little more on the 5'10", 185, but he is feisty and competitive. Who fell further uh, than you expected? Who's the guy that went a little bit later than you were like, uh, you know, coming in, you're like, oh, I'm surprised that guy was still there. I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I think it's Brian Branch. 
24th overall yeah. to the Minnesota Vikings. He's a guy I think should be one of the first defensive backs considered. So that's right up there with Ringo and Porter and Christian Gonzalez. I think he should go right in the 10 to 20 range. So to see him fall to the back end of round one, a little disappointing for my expectations. Peter Skaronsky, the Northwestern tackle falling down to 19 at Tampa, yep. uh, called me just because that's not one we've typically seen. Again, I actually don't have a problem with that fall. Uh, I kind of, I can definitely see that happening. But again, in mock drafts that we've seen, this is a guy that's a little bit further down the line than we would come to expect. Um, and then which last one, which pick would surprise you most if you were to look at this and say, man, I just don't see this player team fit. You know, I got a double dip with yours. You know, and I absolutely think the positional fit, the need, the value of seeing the Dalton Kincaid 29th overall to the Broncos. Yeah, Uh, they just took Greg Dulcich. We were talking about earlier. They just took him in the second round. He had a promising rookie season. Um, That would surprise me if they say, oh, you know what? Let's add another tight end here into the mix. And uh, we don't know who the the head coach is going to be there yet in Denver. You know, maybe there's going to be, you know, a lot of 12 personnel, that kind of situation coming in. But uh, it's not like Kincaid and Dulcich have conflicting skill sets. I think they're kind of similar in terms of their usage. Mm -hmm. Bordeaux is still there. Right. Eric Tomlinson, they work in a lot as an inline blocker. So, you know, another another team where you look at the snapshot of the 2022 Broncos, do you think they need another tight, tight end, end piece? Is, yeah, was right. that the critical missing piece of your Broncos team this year? Add offensive line in front right. of Russell Wilson, please. Yeah, it'll be uh, that'll be an interesting one to continue to talk through, uh, as always. Well, Ben, like I said, we're in a, a little bit of a transition time here uh, with the NFL draft process. All-star game previews will go, will go into full swing next week, and we'll continue that right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.